Let's pray. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, we ask now for that wisdom that comes by your Spirit that we may understand and receive and and do your word in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it was a couple weeks ago, you may recall, that Solomon gave us a list of commands. He, He called us, if you remember, to enjoy the ordinary things of life. He commanded us, that's in verses 7 to 10, to enjoy contentment, to enjoy celebration, comfort, and companionship, and to enjoy commitment to our work. Basically, what he was saying is seize the day to the glory of God. Well, now in our verses this morning, he'll call us to receive the day to the glory of God. Receive it as God's gift because who knows what will happen. Look at verses 11 and 12 again. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, And like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now, as we read these verses, before we look at them, we need to be reminded of something Solomon said earlier in chapter 9. He tells us there that the righteous, the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. The same events happen to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, and so on and so forth. And he does, he he names five different groups or five contrasts. And the focus is on morality. You have an evil person and you have a good person. Well, now in verse 11, he takes the same basic principle and he applies it to five talents of certain individuals. And here we have the swift And we have the strong, we have the wise, we have the intelligent, and we have the knowledgeable. And this list is going to show us five ironies of which all point to the unpredictability of life. That life is unpredictable. See, just as we should be surprised that the same thing happens to the wicked and the righteous, so we should be surprised about what we read here. Ordinarily, we would think of these things and these people and these great abilities, and they would always be winners. I mean, the swift usually win races. The strong usually win battles. The wise usually obtain bread, that is, earn a living. The intelligent usually gain wealth, and the knowledgeable usually find favor. They are winners, and often they do win, but... But having speed or strength or smarts does not guarantee success. LeBron LeBron James doesn't always win his basketball games. The stronger army doesn't always win the battle. The fastest Olympian doesn't always win the race. And, And if we were to look at this, say, biblically for an illustration, the giant Goliath doesn't always win his battle and is sometimes defeated by the little David. Uh, The point is, the most talented among us can be vulnerable to setback and uncertainty. 
on several occasions. The wise do not always have the bread. Intelligence doesn't always assure us of a good income. And having a lot of knowledge will not necessarily do us any favors. There are no guarantees. Solomon says time and chance. Time and chance happen to them all. And so what does he mean, time and chance? Do we believe in chance? Well, let's be clear. Uh, uh, These events that we just talked about, they don't happen arbitrarily. We know that God, Paul tells us, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, As Christians, we don't depend on things such as luck or chance. We don't carry a rabbit's foot around. Uh, Or at least you shouldn't be. If you have one, don't bring it out now. It would be a little bit embarrassing. We don't believe in lucky numbers or, 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 or lucky days, things like that. When I was growing up in the Italian home, you always had the garlic hanging to keep evil spirits away and things like that. We don't, we don't follow that as Christians. Why? Because we have faith in the loving providence of God. The word here for chance is better translated a happening And so from our perspective, though, there is still a problem. We do not necessarily know what God is doing. No matter how strong we are, how smart we are, uh, many bad things happen to us in this life. And there's no way for us to predict when these happenings, these chance things, these happenings will happen. And so timing may upset the best of plans. And the keenest of abilities. And chance is that unavoidable and unforeseen circumstance that upsets the whole enterprise. A moment ago, I mentioned LeBron James. When I lived in Florida, LeBron played for the Heat for a while. And as you know, LeBron James is probably one of the greatest basketball players ever. And normally, LeBron scores a lot of points. Well, several years ago, he was playing for the Heat in, at, at the stadium, and during the game, the air conditioner went out. And this is in Florida. Uh, went out, and he got cramped up, and he got carried off the court. And so there's a time to score a lot of points, and there's a time to cramp up, and you wouldn't have expected it. And we don't know when that time will happen. He did not know that time. Now, of course, that's a silly illustration Uh, Solomon here gives us a better illustration. We'll go with his, not mine. Um, In verse 12, Solomon illustrates this truth, that man does not know the timing of these uh, ironic happenings with a pair of vivid images. They're drawn from nature. First, he writes, like fish that are taken in an evil net. And then he says, and like birds that are caught in a snare. And then he says, he makes the comparison. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now, the point is simple. Fish and birds get caught before they know it. If they would have known what was coming, they would have went in the other direction. But they don't know what's coming because they're birds. (laughs) They're, They're fish. They have no reasoning skills. And so they're taken unaware. Well, so it is with us. Nobody, neither the wise or the unwise, the skilled or the unskilled, the fast or slow, the ignorant or the intelligent gets up in the morning, this is an example, and says, today I have an interview, it's at 945, but I know what's going to happen, I'm going to be driving down 76, and there's going to be a car accident, and then it's going to back up for two hours, and I'm going to miss my interview. 
And I'm smart enough to know that. I can see that coming. Now, with 76, you probably could figure that out. I think the birds could figure that out. But, but the point is clear. We don't have those abilities. We can't see the future. We can't plan, plan for that type of event. We're like naive fish, Solomon's saying. We're like naive birds, even with our reasoning skills. We're incapable of controlling the flow of our own lives. However much you plan, how much time you put in it, how great your wisdom, you cannot figure it all out. We are like the animals, get caught in the snare of an evil time. By evil time, Solomon simply means death, but not just death. Other calamities that come into our life, tragedies, uh, troubles. He's saying, look, life is unpredictable, and a time will come when an evil time will catch up with us all. It's just going to happen. That is the reality of life as we know it. And as we learn through this series on Ecclesiastes with Solomon, he, 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 he's a realist. He's going to tell you the way it is. And so he spells it out for us. And so that's the reality of our life. What are we to do about it? How are we to respond to such inevitable suffering with this unpredictability of life? Now, some, many, maybe some here even at times, have concluded, why bother them? I mean, why bother? If the race does not go to the swift, then why run it all? If the battle is not won by the strong, then why prepare for war? If being wise and intelligent will not guarantee you a job and get you your money, then why bother to develop your mind? Why do any of this? If knowledge is not going to secure you the favor of man, why study and learn? Since it all comes down to chance anyway, fatalism might appear, that's what this is, fatalism appears to be an honest opinion, an honest option too. And people have adopted this stance. Like, why bother? And so fatalism, that's their belief system. For them, life is arbitrary. Uh, do you ever feel that way? It's just like no rhyme or reason to what happens to us. And we can't do anything about it. It just happens. So who cares? Why bother? That is one reasonable, at least from a worldly point of view, opinion. It's popular today. But Solomon says, no, that's not going to be my take. He thinks in light of time and chance that we should still pursue wisdom. And, and in verse 13 to 18, he shows us the, the value, the relative value of wisdom. He begins with an example. Look at verse 13. I have also seen this example, he said, of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. This is something Solomon observed. This isn't a story he's making up for the point of to make his point um, here, it, it's something he observed. We don't know the story behind it. There, there are examples in the Bible. There's a story in 2 Samuel. We read about a wise woman who saved the whole city by sacrificing the life of one evil man. That would fit here. And there's other stories in Judges and 2 Kings. In either case, this event happened. And this event makes the point. He writes, look at verse 14 and 15. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came after it, against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. 
And so you see the contrast here. You have this insignificant city with few men and and this prestigious, a great king. And and also you have a weakness. It's a small city and and a strength. These great siege works. Siege works were platforms or towers an army built around and above the city walls of a city. Uh, uh, and it's worth pointing out that the Hebrew word for siege works is that same word in, in net that the fish get caught in. It's the same word there in verse 12. Solomon is intentionally associating the siege of the city with all these calamities that we're going to face someday or may safe or maybe facing right now. And they may suddenly come upon us. And the point of the story is that the city has almost no chance to survive. Its defenders were totally outnumbered. Their enemies were led by this powerful king who had the latest military technology. Humanly speaking, there was no hope of escape. There was no hope of survival. But the battle is not always to the strong. In this small, insignificant, weak city lived one poor, wise man who knew what to do, he did it, and he delivered the city. And soon after that, he was forgotten. Verse 15. In fact, as verse 16 says, his words were even despised and were not listened to. The very people he probably saved despised him and didn't listen to what he had to say. Solomon already said, people are fickle. You're not always going to be appreciated for your wise counsel. But if this story teaches us anything, it teaches us that when it comes to fame, being popular, or or doing the wise thing, especially when people's lives are at stake, we must let wisdom prevail. We must let wisdom prevail. We must speak and act wisely, never leaving things to, quote, luck. And so by way of summary, there are four lessons or conclusions that Solomon makes. First, wisdom proves superior to might. We read it in verse 16, wisdom is better than might. Second, as we just saw, wisdom is not always respected or honored. Um, The end of verse 16, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. And so wisdom, a wise response, a a wise need is not always respected. It's, It's not always honored. Third, wisdom is often difficult to hear over the shouting of those in power. Look at verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Uh, Powerful people, you know, people that lead countries can make it difficult to listen to the quiet voice of wisdom. There's strength and foolishness shouting all but silence the words of a wise man. And so wisdom is often difficult to hear over the voice of those who are in power. That's another lesson. A fourth lesson is no matter how superior wisdom might be, one foolish act of a sinner can destroy the good results of wisdom. That's what verse 18 says. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys so much or much good. And so Solomon is saying this. Even though you don't know the outcome, even though you may be despised for your counsel, even though power, those in charge, may drown out the voice of reason, and even though one person's sinful mistake can destroy any chance for a favorable outcome, you should still choose wisdom. Being wise is still better. 
In the midst of the unpredictability of life, we cannot do better or do more than be wise and speak wisely. And that's what we're to do. That's Solomon's lesson. We're to receive the day and everything in it, not surprised by its troubles, and respond to each happening as wisely as we can. And as the story here shows, that people's lives may depend upon it. And so there's several applications for us. And let me share just a few, and then I'll, then I'll, I'll close. First, as I just mentioned, despite not always winning the day and being heard, it's our duty to speak wisdom. And this can be applied in many ways, particularly in our culture, how quickly evilness is reigning over morality. Decisions that are being made are just utterly foolish. And we need to be able to calmly speak out against whatever ruinous lies and sin may prevail in our day. We need to speak wisely and calmly. And that must be true. And that's true. It must be done. But in particular, I think the one way to apply this is speaking wisely and calmly the wisdom of the gospel. You know, you may be despised for telling people they are sinners. Not many people like to hear it. I don't like to hear it, and I, and I, I know full well I am. You may be despised for telling people that it's only through the life and the death and the resurrection of our Savior that you can be saved from the wrath of God. They may not like to hear it. You may be despised for it. You may be ignored or even persecuted by those in power for preaching that exclusive gospel. But like the poor, weak, wise man in our story, your words have the potential to save their lives. And that's the point. You see, like the great king in our story, Satan... Satan seeks to destroy the lives of those who remain outside of Jesus. He, he, he seeks to devour them. And his weapons of warfare are powerful and they are mighty. And it's only the wise words of the gospel being believed, being heeded, that can defeat Satan and prevent him from winning the battle. And so you cannot remain silent. You must speak wisdom. You must diagnose their situation, recognize that it's dire, and, and wisely confront them with the gospel. The Apostle Paul put it this way, I believe, therefore I speak. I believe this good news, therefore I must proclaim it. Paul, and I mean, yeah, Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 4, we must do this with love. Speak the truth in love. You know, you listen to, to the foolishness that is taught today in our universities, on campuses, in our culture, and you say, what use is it to even say anything? I mean, if you can believe this stuff, there is no getting through. And Solomon says, no, that's not true. Speak wisdom. Have no fear of them, Peter says. 
nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, it's better to suffer for speaking wisely, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. First Peter 3. And so despite being weak, despite being shouted at, despite being ignored, you, you must be wise and speak boldly and clearly and gently the liberating words of the gospel to a culture that doesn't want to hear it. Why? Because their lives depend upon it. And see, that leads to another application that I came across. Uh, I I believe this is Warren Wearsby. A a truly wise and righteous person is distinguished from the evil fool here precisely by the fact that their action, their actions is not aimed directly at their own prosperity. They're doing it for others. What does this mean? You see, the swift run and heroes fight with the sole intention of winning the race. That's the goal, or winning the battle. But the righteous run They fight, they speak wisely. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. It may never get them the advantage. You may be despised for it, but that is the right thing to do before God, and and, and it's the benefit the fellow man that don't even realize that it's benefiting them. The outcome is no consequence. That's not the issue. Of course you want to win. Uh, uh, Of course you want wisdom to prevail over the foolishness of the day. But their first question when you're doing this as a believer is not what am I going to get out of this. Uh, uh, Their first concern is what is the wise and right course of action. What am I called to do? And so a truly wise and righteous person is distinguished from the evil fool precisely by the fact that their action is not for their own prosperity. It's because it is right. It is the right thing to do, to speak up. Let's move on. When we think of that reality of how often our wisdom will not prevail... When we realize that after saying all this, and I'm telling you to go out there and speak truth that people aren't going to listen, we're reminded that ultimately we're dependent upon the wisdom and providence of God. This is what Wearsby says here. Since death is unavoidable, and since life is unpredictable, the only course we can safely take is to yield ourselves into the hands of God and walk by faith in his word. We don't live by explanations. We live by promises. We don't depend on luck, but on the providential working of our loving Father as we trust his promises and obey his will. See, Solomon here has made a convincing case against self-sufficiency. We don't know what's going to happen. We can have all the wisdom, the strength, the knowledge and skill and intelligence in the world and, and still can't deal with the unpredictability of life. And we just saw that. But as believers, even though we cannot know what the future holds, you know the saying, we know who holds the future. And so the words of James 
at this point, are very wise and a good application. He says, today or tomorrow, we will go into... Don't say, he says, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Well, I'm going to do this. I have this plan. I have this plan. I have this plan. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life, he says? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. And so in this unpredictable world, under the sovereign hand of God's providential care, we are to humbly receive the day to the glory of God, everything in it, not being surprised by troubles, and we're to speak words of wisdom, not being surprised if circumstances don't change, not being surprised if people don't even listen, or even if we're despised for it, and we're to do it. Why? Because God tells us to do it, and it's the right thing to do. That is why we speak up. And it makes me wonder in our culture today why the church isn't despised more. Because when you consider what is taught on TV, what is believed in Hollywood, what is found as acceptable on social media, and you hold it up to God's word, you would think if they knew we believed that, they would despise us. And yet they don't that often. And it's probably because we're not speaking up. We need to speak up, not in order to cause a fight, as he said, gently, but in order to have God's word be heard. Well, let me close now, and I want to consider the illustration he gave of one of the wise men who saved the city, and see that it points to another story, who you know I'm talking about. When we see the wisdom of that one man in that story that Solomon told, it illustrates the story of the one true wise man, Jesus. I want you to think about this. Jesus was poor as anyone. He was homeless and destitute, and therefore he was totally dependent on God the Father for his daily bread. Jesus is also wiser than everyone, as we know, as you read the scriptures. And we also know that he was despised, as we just talked about, by men, for the things, what? That he said. He was despised and rejected by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. That's what Isaiah said. And yet, what did Jesus do? Oh, I give up. You know, I, they're not going to listen. He knew they weren't going to listen. And, and yet, what does he do? He presses forward. And by his wisdom, he delivered the lost city of fallen humanity all by himself. And how did he do it? He did it by something that was considered foolishness at the time, the cross, but actually turns out to be God's wisdom for salvation. The city of fallen humanity he saves by dying on the cross and then rising again. And that's what Paul says. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. All the loud shouting of the mighty in this world couldn't drown out the cries of God's wisdom from the cross. Oh, they tried. They tried. His death, though, secured our victory. And so we are the winners. 
And see, beloved, here's the beautiful conclusion to all this. Christ could have avoided the tragedy. You do know that. Nothing caught him unaware. He knew he was going to be arrested. There was no snare or trap uh, that was set that he didn't see it coming. He knew when he went up to Jerusalem that he would be arrested and sentenced to death. He knew it. But he loved us. And in his infinite wisdom, he chose to stay the course. He did the right thing. He chose humility over escape. He chose submission over victory. He chose death over life. And he did so in obedience to his father in order to secure our salvation. He chose the right thing. And see, that's good news for us if we're a believer because the world's unpredictable. You don't know your time. You don't know what will come tomorrow. You don't know what will come this afternoon, this day. And the truth is that this is the only wisdom that God offers, the only knowledge that will help you find favor with him. It's the only one. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. I know that offends people. And they say, well, I'm religious. Are you excluding me? I am not excluding you. The Bible is excluding you. God is excluding you. Christ, through his perfect life, through his substitutionary death, through his glorious resurrection, he came so that you can be saved. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father, comes to the Father, but through me. And so the only way to be saved from the wrath to come from destruction is through Christ. And so what will you do with that wisdom? If you're here and you're an unbeliever, I, 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 I challenge you not to trust in your own strength and your own intelligence and your own wisdom. Don't allow the shouts of the foolish social media gang convince you that you shouldn't listen to the wisdom of the cross. Trust Christ. Trust in Christ alone, who is the wisdom of God, we're told, and the power of God for your salvation. And for those of us that do believe, that recognize this is good news. I I mean, I see the world around me, and and it's a mess. This is good news. Well, then I say, speak. Speak. Tell others the gospel. Be wise and believe and speak. Let's pray. Great God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We acknowledge, Father, that sometimes we see all that goes on in this world and we think, why bother? I pray, Father, you would fill us with your spirit. Help us to lean upon your promises in the power of the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim the good news that Christ came, he lived, he died, and he rose again for our salvation. Amen.